After reciting the Tashahud, Ta'awuz, and Surah Al-Fatiha, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih V, Ayyadahullah Ta'ala bin Israhil Aziz stated, The accounts from the life of Hazrat Usman radiallahu ta'ala anhu were being narrated two Friday sermons ago, and I will continue to do so today as well. Hazrat Usman possessed a great deal of modesty and chastity in his disposition. We find a narration in regards to this. Hazrat Anas bin Malik relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that from among my ummah, i.e. the followers, the most merciful towards his people is Abu Bakr, the most firm in the religion of Allah is Umar, the one who adheres to the highest standard of true modesty is Usman, and the best decision-maker among them is Ali bin Abi Talib. The most knowledgeable of the Qur'an, which is the Book of Allah the Almighty, is Ubay bin Kaab. And the person with the greatest understanding of what is lawful and unlawful is Muaz bin Jabal. And the person with the greatest awareness of his obligations is Zaid bin Sabit. Listen, every nation has an Amin, a custodian, and the Amin of my Ummah is Abu Ubaidah bin Al-Jarrah. Hazrat Anas bin Malik relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated that Abu Bakr is the most merciful towards my Ummah. Umar is most firm among them with regards to implementing the commandments of Allah the Almighty and Usman is the most modest among them. Hazrat Usman bin Affan relates that I was never neglectful I never desired khilafat or any other position or entertained any false desires. With regards to Hazrat Usman radiallahu high level of modesty, Hazrat Aisha relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was in her home and at the time was lying down and had slightly removed the garment which was covering his thighs or calves. 
During this time, Hazrat Abu Bakr sought permission to enter, and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, permitted him to enter. But he remained in the same state. Following this, they engaged in a conversation, and Hazrat Umar sought permission to enter. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, also permitted him to enter, but again remained as he was. Thereafter, they continued the conversation. When Hazrat Usman sought permission to enter, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, sat up and adjusted his clothes. The narrator of this tradition, Ayy Muhammad, says that he does not say that all of this took place in one day. It is possible that this took place on different occasions. But in any case, when Hazrat Usman came and they all spoke together, then later Hazrat Aisha inquired from the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that when Abu Bakr came, you remained as you were, and then when Umar came, again you remained as you were. However, when Usman entered, you sat up and started adjusting your clothes. Upon this, the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, stated, that should I not take into consideration the high level of modesty of that person for whom even the angels display their modesty? In another place, this narration has been narrated as follows. When Hazrat Aisha inquired from the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, as to why he made this particular effort for Hazrat Usman, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, replied, that should I not show modesty to whom even the angels display their modesty? The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, then further stated that by that being in whose hands lies the life of Muhammad, peace be upon him, the angels most certainly display the same modesty towards Usman as they do before Allah and his messenger, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. And if Usman had entered and you were near me, then he would have not raised his head until he had left. In other words, Hazrat Usman possessed such high levels of modesty that he would have neither looked up nor uttered a single word. Whilst describing Allah the Almighty's attribute of Kareem, i.e. the Honourable, Hazrat Muslim anhu mentioned this incident of Hazrat Usman. Hazrat Muslim anhu states that there is an incident of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, from which we learn that one displays a great deal of modesty in the presence of a person who is Honourable, i.e. Kareem. 
That is to say, that one displays modesty in front of one who possesses the quality of being highly honourable. It is stated in the Ahadith that the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was once lying down in his home whilst a part of his legs was slightly showing. Thereupon Hazrat Abu Bakr came and sat down. Then Hazrat Umar came and took a seat, but the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, remained as he was. Then a short while later, Hazrat Usman knocked on the door, and the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, immediately stood up and began to cover his legs with the cloth, stating that there is a great deal of modesty in the disposition of Usman, and therefore I am reluctant to have some part of my leg showing in front of him. Then there is the Hadith, which has been mentioned already, where Hazrat Aisha relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was once sitting at home and had slightly removed his garment that was covering his calves. During this time, Hazrat Abu Bakr sought permission to enter, whilst the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was in this state. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, remained lying down and gave him permission to enter, and they continued to speak to one another. Later, Hazrat Umar arrived and sought permission to enter. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, granted him permission and remained lying as he was, perhaps lying down or sitting. Then a short while later, Hazrat Usman came and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, stood up immediately and adjusted his clothes and then permitted him to enter. When they had all left, Hazrat Aisha asked the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, that, O Messenger of Allah, when Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Umar came, you did not do anything and remained lying as you were. But when Hazrat Usman came, why did you stand up immediately and arrange your clothes? The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, replied, that, O Aisha, should I not show modesty in front of the one before whom even the angels display their modesty? Thus, observe how the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, regarded the modesty of Hazrat Usman, whereby just as he would display his modesty in front of others, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, displayed modesty when Hazrat Usman was in his presence. Meaning due to the fact that Hazrat Usman would display modesty in front of people, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, also did the same when Hazrat Usman came before him. After mentioning this incident, Hazrat Muslim Ta'ala stated that owing to God Almighty being honourable, mankind should strive to refrain from sin and act with modesty and obey his commandments. It should not be the case that one becomes fearless after committing a sin whilst assuming that just because God Almighty is very honourable, he will grant them great favours in spite of all their sins. Hazrat Muslim Aud further states that one should keep in mind that because God Almighty is honourable, mankind should be modest and endeavour to abstain from sin. Then in relation to Hazrat Usman's humility and simplicity, Abdullah Rumi relates that Hazrat Usman would make his own arrangements for the ablution he was to perform in the night. He was told that he should instruct a house worker to make the arrangements for him, upon which he replied that no, the night is the time for them to rest meaning that the workers should be given the time in the night to rest. Al-Kamah bin Waqas narrates that Hazrat Amr bin As said to Hazrat Usman whilst he was on the pulpit that, O Usman, you have placed this Ummah in a very difficult situation. Hazrat Usman had delivered a sermon in which he mentioned some points and also admonished the people. And so he said that you should repent and they too should repent with you. In other words, Hazrat Usman had greatly instilled the fear of God in them and thus a companion submitted this request before him. The narrator states that Hazrat Usman immediately turned his face towards the Qibla and raised both his hands and supplicated, 
Allahumma inni astaghfiruka wa atubu ilayka. That is, O oh Allah, I seek your forgiveness and turn to you. And those who were present at the time also raised their hands and offered this prayer. Thus, such was his level of fear of God and his humility that Hazrat Usman at once raised his hands to supplicate and he did not get into an argument with anyone. Instead, he prayed for himself and for his people. There are numerous narrations in relation to Hazrat Usman's generosity and spending in the way of Allah the Almighty. Hazrat Usman himself relates that there are ten things I keep hidden and only my Lord knows. I was the fourth person of all people to accept Islam. I have never listened to any vain songs and I have never uttered a lie. And ever since I took the oath of allegiance at the hands of the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, I have never touched my private area with my right hand. And after accepting Islam, a single Friday has gone by that I haven't freed a slave, barring the Friday when I had no slave to free. And in such a case, when he had no slave to free, he states that I would free a slave on a day other than the Friday, and I have neither committed adultery in the time of ignorance nor after having accepted Islam. Hazrat Usman's freed slave Abu Sa'id relates that whilst the house of Hazrat Usman was besieged, he freed 20 slaves. Hazrat Abdullah bin Masood narrates that we were in a battle alongside the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, when the people were suffering with hunger, to the extent that I witnessed worry on the faces of the Muslims and joy on the faces of the hypocrites. When the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, witnessed these scenes, he stated that by God, the sun will not set until he has brought you provisions. When Hazrat Usman learnt of this, he stated that Allah and his messenger, may peace be upon him, have spoken the truth. And so he purchased 14 camels along with the grains laden upon them and sent nine of them to the Holy Prophet, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Upon seeing them, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, asked that what is this? And he was informed that the Hazrat Usman had sent these gifts for him. Upon this, the countenance of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, was filled with joy and happiness, and the faces of the hypocrites were overcome with anxiety. I then saw the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, raise both his hands to the point where the whiteness beneath his arms became visible, and the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, prayed for Hazrat Usman. And I'd never heard the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, pray in such a manner for anyone else before, or even after. And the prayer was, Allahumma ate Usmana, Allahumma fal bi Usman. That is, O Allah, grant Usman in abundance. O Allah, shower your blessings and bounties upon Usman. Hazrat Aisha relates that when the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, came to me, he saw some meat and asked who had sent it. I answered that it was sent by Hazrat Usman. 
Thereupon I witnessed that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, raised both his hands and prayed for Hazrat Usman. Muhammad bin Hilal narrates from his grandmother that she would go to Hazrat Usman when his house was under siege. He narrates that his grandmother had a son who was named Hilal. One day, when Hazrat Usman didn't find her present, he asked about her whereabouts and was informed that she had given birth to a son that night. He states that his grandmother said, Thereupon Hazrat Usman sent me 50 dirhams and a part of a large cloth and stated that this is an allowance for your son and this cloth is for your son to wear. He further stated that when your son turns one, we shall increase the allowance to 100 dirhams. Ibn Sa'id bin Yarbu narrates that I once left home in the afternoon when I was a child and I had a bird which I was making fly in the mosque when I saw a man lying there who had a beautiful countenance and beneath his head was a brick or perhaps a piece of brick which he had placed under his head as a pillow. I stood there and stared in awe of his beauty. He opened his eyes and asked me that, O child, who are you? I told him who I was and then he spoke out to a child sleeping nearby, but the child did not give any response. Upon this, he told me to go bring him, and I proceeded to do so. The wise man then instructed the child to go and bring something, and told me to sit down. Then the child went away and returned with a garment and 10,000 dirhams. The individual then asked me to take off the clothes I was wearing, and gave me the garment to wear, in which he had placed 1,000 dirhams. When I returned to my father, I told him everything that had just happened, upon which he stated that, O oh my child, do you know who it is that's treated you in this way? I replied that I did not know, except that he was a person who was sleeping in the mosque and that I had never seen in my entire life a more handsome person. My father then said to me that he was Hazrat Amirul Mu'mineen i.e. the leader of the faithful, Hazrat Usman bin Affan. Ibn Jarir relates that Hazrat Talha met Hazrat Usman whilst he was going towards the mosque. Hazrat Talha stated to Hazrat Usman that I now have the 50,000 dirhams which I owed you. Therefore you may send someone to me in order to collect the money. Upon this, Hazrat Usman stated, that owing to your kindness, I give this amount to you. In other words, he did not need to repay him. Asma'i states that Ibn Amir appointed Qatan bin Awf Halali as the governor of Kirman, and so he left with 4,000 Muslim soldiers. During the way, a valley had given way due to the rain, and their path was obstructed as a result. Katan feared that perhaps he would not be able to arrive at his destination on time. And so he announced that whoever could cross the valley, he would be given a thousand dirhams as a reward. Following this, people began to swim in order to go across the other side. And whenever any of the soldiers would cross the valley, Katan would instruct that he be given his reward. Eventually, the entire army crossed the valley and thus four million dirhams were given. However, Ibn Amir, who was the governor, refused to give the money to Qatan and informed Hazrat Usman about this matter in writing.
Upon this, Hazrat Usman stated that give this amount to Katan, for he has helped the Muslims in the cause of Allah. And thus, ever since they had crossed the valley, the rewards which they were given were known as Javais, which is the plural of Jaiza. On one occasion, Hazrat Usman suffered from an illness and it was requested that he should appoint a Khalifa. Hisham has narrated this incident from his father. He narrates that Marwan bin Hakam told him that the year in which there was an outbreak of a disease which caused severe nosebleeds, Hazrat Usman bin Affan also suffered from a severe nosebleed to the extent that it prevented him from performing the Hajj and he even wrote down his will. In that moment, an individual from among the Quraysh approached him and said that elect someone as the Khalifa. In other words, owing to his condition, he should appoint a Khalifa. Hazrat Usman asked, and have people made this request? To which this individual replied in the affirmative. Hazrat Usman then asked that who do they wish to appoint as the Khalifa? But to this he remained silent. Then, Another person came, who the narrator states that it was perhaps Haris, and he also asked him to appoint a Khalifa. Hazrat Usman asked that is this what the people are asking, to which he replied in the affirmative. Hazrat Usman then asked that who should be the Khalifa, but to this he remained silent. Hazrat Usman then said that perhaps they desire to elect Zubair, and to this he replied yes. Hazrat Usman then said that by him in whose hands is my life, as far as I know, he is the best among the people and he was the dearest to the Holy Prophet. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Hazrat Usman also had the opportunity to write down the verses which were revealed to the Holy Prophet. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. According to one of the narrations, Hazrat Usman had the good fortune of writing down the verses revealed in Surah Al-Muzammil. Umm Kulsum bin Samama relates that she asked Hazrat Aisha that if she could relate something about Hazrat Usman because people were asking about him quite a lot. Upon this, Hazrat Aisha stated that in a night which was extremely hot, I saw Hazrat Usman in the company of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, inside the house in which Hazrat Jibreel was bringing down the divine revelation. Whenever divine revelation was brought down to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, he would experience a great weight upon him. Allah the Almighty has stated, Inna sanulki alayka qawlan thaqila. Verily, we are charging thee with a weighty word. And Hazrat Usman was sat before the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, and was writing the divine revelation. And the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was stating, O Usman, write. Hazrat Aisha stated, that Allah the Almighty only grants a highly honourable person such nearness to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Then during the time of Hazrat Abu Bakr, the various manuscripts of the Holy Qur'an were gathered together, which he kept with himself. Then they were kept with Hazrat Umar, and after him they were in the possession of Hazrat Hafsa bint Umar. Later, during the era of Hazrat Usman's Khilafat, 
The following narration is found in regards to him acquiring these manuscripts. Hazrat Hosefa bin Yaman relates that he was fighting along with the people of Iraq against the people of Syria for the lands in Armenia and Azerbaijan. And upon returning from there, he presented himself before Hazrat Usman. Hazrat Huzaifa was concerned owing to the difference in their reading, i.e. Kirat of the Holy Qur'an in those lands. And so, he submitted before Hazrat Usman that, O leader of the faithful, take care of the Ummah, lest they begin to dispute with one another over the Book of Allah, just like the Jews and Christians did. Following this, Hazrat Usman sent a message to Hazrat Hafsa and asked her to give the various manuscripts of the Holy Qur'an so that he could produce various copies of the Holy Qur'an from it and then those manuscripts would be returned to her. And so Hazrat Hafsa sent the manuscripts to Hazrat Usman. Hazrat Usman then instructed Hazrat Zaid bin Sabit, Hazrat Abdullah bin Zubair, Hazrat Sayyid bin As and Hazrat Abdul Rahman bin Haris bin Hisham to produce copies from those manuscripts. Hazrat Usman then told the latter three of the aforementioned companions who were from among the Quraysh that if there was a difference in the Qirrat in their copy of the Qur'an and the Qur'an written by Zaid, then they should write it according to the language of the Quraysh for the Qur'an was revealed in the language of the Quraysh, i.e. their dialect of Arabic. Thus, these companions worked on this task and when the copies of the Holy Qur'an were completed, Hazrat Usman returned the original manuscripts of the Holy Qur'an to Hazrat Hafsa and sent the various newly produced copies of the Holy Qur'an to various countries and instructed that if there was any other copy of the Holy Qur'an besides this, it should be burnt. Alama ibn Yattin states that the difference between Hazrat Abu Bakr and Hazrat Usman compiling the Qur'an was that Hazrat Abu Bakr compiled the Qur'an fearing that if the Hufazi Qur'an, i.e. those who had committed the entire Qur'an to memory, passed away, then some parts of the Holy Qur'an may be lost, because until then the Holy Qur'an had not been compiled in one single form. Thus, Hazrat Abu Bakr compiled the Holy Qur'an by placing the verses in the same order as the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, had taught the companions to memorize it. On the other hand, Hazrat Usman compiled the Holy Qur'an owing to the increasing differences in the dialects of the language. People began to recite the Holy Qur'an according to their own dialect and style of pronunciation. And moreover, they would deem the reading style ayikirrat of others to be incorrect. Hazrat Usman was concerned that perhaps this would lead to a more serious situation and so Hazrat Usman compiled the various manuscripts which Hazrat Abu Bakr had initially collected into a single copy according to the sequence of his chapters. Moreover, Hazrat Usman kept it in the language of the Quraysh and the reason he gave for doing this was because the Quran was revealed in the language of the Quraysh, in other words, in their dialect. And although initially it was also permitted that one could recite the Qur'an in other dialects as well for the purpose of ease, however, when Hazrat Usman observed that there was no longer any need to do it in this manner, he instructed for it to be recited in only one style of reading, i.e. Qirrat.
Allama Qurtubi states that if the question is posed that why did Hazrat Usman feel the need to compile the Qur'an for the people even though before him Hazrat Abu Bakr had already compiled it, then the answer to this is that Hazrat Usman did not do this in order to compile the manuscripts. This is because Hazrat Usman had sent a message to Umm al-Mu'mineen Hazrat Hafsa requesting for the manuscripts of the Holy Qur'an so that he could produce various copies from it and thereafter he would return to her the original manuscripts. The reason why Hazrat Usman did this was because people had started to disagree with one another over the different styles of reading Ayyikirrat of the Qur'an because the companions had travelled and settled in various cities. Therefore, this was leading to a very serious situation and the differences held between the people of Syria and Iraq had taken the form as described by Hazrat Huzaifa. Whilst explaining the following verse of Surah Al-A'la, Sanukriyuka fala tansa, that is, we shall teach thee the Qur'an and thou shalt forget it not. Hazrat Muslim Ta'ala states, that the meaning of this verse is that we shall teach you the Qur'an which you shall not forget till the day of judgment and this will continue to remain in the same form as it is today. And this claim is testified by even the staunchest opponents of Islam who openly accept that the Holy Qur'an has remained preserved in the exact same form as it was first presented by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Noldick, Springer and William Muir have all acknowledged in their books that apart from the Holy Qur'an, they cannot categorically and definitely say this about any other scripture, that it exists in the same form today as the founder of its religion had originally presented it. It is only the Holy Qur'an regarding which it can be conclusively said that it exists in the exact same form today as it was presented by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, to his companions. Hazrat Muslim ta'ala further states that since they do not believe that the Holy Qur'an is a book revealed by Allah the Almighty, and they claim that it was written by the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him himself, therefore they do not say that it remains preserved in the exact same form as it was revealed. But nonetheless, they certainly do say that this book remains in the exact form as it was first presented by Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. For example, Sir William Muir writes in his book, The Qur'an, that all the various proofs grant assurance to one's heart that the Qur'an which we read today is exactly the same, word for word, which the Prophet, may the peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, would recite to the people. Sir William Muir then further writes in his book Life of Muhammad that what we have, though possibly created and modified by himself, is still his own. Similarly, he further writes 
that we may upon the strongest presumption affirm that every verse in the Qur'an is genuine and unaltered. Then, Noldik, who is a German Orientalist, writes, Slight clerical errors there may have been, but the Qur'an of Usman contains none but genuine elements, though sometimes in very strange order. Efforts of European scholars to prove the existence of later interpolations in the Qur'an have failed. Hazrat Muslim Anhu then writes, In short, even the European writers have acknowledged that there is absolutely no doubt with regards to the physical preservation of the Holy Qur'an. In fact, it is word for word and letter for letter the exact same book as Muhammad wasallam recited before the people. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih I states, The people attribute Hazrat Usman to be the Jamiul Qur'an, i.e. the collator of the Holy Qur'an, whereas this is incorrect. They have assumed this simply because of the rhyming pattern with the name Usman and Jamiul Qur'an. Indeed, if one were to say that he was responsible for the published version of the Qur'an we have today, then that would be correct to an extent. During his Khilafat, Islam spread far and wide, and for this reason Hazrat Usman ordered for a few copies of the manuscript of the Qur'an to be made and sent them to Mecca, Medina, Syria, Basra and Kufa, as well as to other lands. He adopted the order of the Qur'an as was desired by Allah the Almighty and instructed by the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and then ensured that the same copy reached us. Indeed, to read it and safeguard it is our responsibility. Hazrat Muslim Anhu states that during the time of Hazrat Usman, instead of the people of Makkah living only in Makkah and the people of Medina only residing in Medina and the people of Taif only remaining confined to Taif, and the people of Najd remaining in Najd, and the people of Yemen living only in Yemen, and being unaware of each other's language and idioms, Medina had become the capital and all tribes had become one. Since the governance was in the hands of the people of Medina, a large portion of whom were the Muhajireen of Makkah, even the residents of Medina, had learned the Hijaz dialect of Arabic, owing to their association and interaction with the Meccans. Thus, since they were responsible for enforcing the law, and they were responsible for the wealth, i.e. those who were in authority, and the eyes of everyone were fixed upon them. The people of Taif, Najd, Mecca, Yemen, and also majority of the people residing in other areas would regularly travel to Medina. They would meet the Muhajireen and Ansar of Medina and learn about Islam from them. Therefore, over time, the official language of academia through which the teachings were imparted became one. Then some from them even came and settled in Medina, and so they fully adopted the Hijazi dialect. And when these people would return to their hometowns, since they were scholars and teachers, most certainly them travelling there would have had an effect over the people. And aside from this, owing to the wars that were taking place, people of various tribes had the chance to stay together. And given that the officers of the army were the imminent companions, staying in their company would instill within them a natural desire to emulate their example, and this would include learning their language as well. 
And although in the beginning people may have had some difficulties understanding the Qur'an, however, after Medina became the capital, and all the tribes of Arabia began regularly converging upon Medina as the centre of Arabia, this difficulty in understanding the Qur'an would have been removed. The reason for this is that by that time, all those who possessed a scholarly disposition became fully acquainted with the language and meanings of the Qur'an. Thus, when the people understood this fully, Hazrat Usman ordered that from then on, only the Hijazi Qirat, a reading of the Holy Qur'an, will be used, and no one was permitted to use the other readings. The intention behind this command was that people had become acquainted with the Hijazi dialect. Therefore, there was no longer any reason for people to be permitted to substitute words for Hijazi Arabic. Owing to this instruction issued by Hazrat Usman, the Shias, who are opposed to the Sunnis, say that the current manuscript of the Qur'an is the version created by Usman. However, this allegation is completely false. Up until the era of Hazrat Usman, owing to their social interactions and intermingling, the various Arab tribes had become familiar with the differences of the dialects of their languages. By this time, there was no need for the permission to recite the various readings Aikirat to remain. This permission was only temporary and the reason it was granted was because they were early days and there were different tribes and within these tribes a difference in dialect changed the meanings of certain words. And so, owing to this difference, for a brief time, those tribes were permitted to substitute the words of the actual revelation with other words revealed by God Almighty that were prevalent within those tribes. The reason for this was so that the commandments of the Holy Qur'an could be understood and there would be no obstacle preventing people from understanding it, and also so that each tribe could read the Qur'an using the idioms of their language and in their own dialect. When 20 years had elapsed since the permission was granted, the situation had changed completely and the tribes had progressed. Those Arabs that once several tribes had become one mighty tribe, in fact, they had become a formidable government. They were responsible for upholding the law and to provide an education. They had the power to distribute various offices and began implementing penal laws. Subsequently, there was no longer any impediments in people understanding the primary dialect in which the Qur'an was revealed. And so, when this situation became prevalent, Hazrat Usman annulled the permission that was only meant to be temporary and this indeed was the will of Allah the Almighty. However, the Shias allege this to be Hazrat Usman's biggest mistake in that he stopped all other readings, i.e. Kirat, and only adopted one reading. However, if they had pondered over the matter, then they would have easily realized that Allah the Almighty permitted the reading of the different Kirat in the second era of Islam, not in the early era. Therefore, this proves the fact that although the Holy Qur'an was revealed in the Hijazi dialect, the different Qirat, i.e. readings, came about as various tribes accepted Islam. The languages between the different tribes varied, and they either could not pronounce certain words correctly or specific words have different connotations amongst the different tribes. And so, for this reason, in such cases where this difference would have arisen, under the directive of Allah the Almighty, 
The Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, granted permission to use a word from a different dialect or to use a different word in its place. However, this difference had no bearing on the meaning or understanding of the verses. In fact, if this permission was not given, then this difference in meaning and understanding would certainly have arisen. Hazrat Muslim Al-Dhu states that we find proof of this from the fact that the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, taught one kirat, a recitation of a particular chapter to Hazrat Abdullah bin Mas'ud, and a different kirat was taught of the same chapter to Hazrat Umar. The reason for this was that Hazrat Umar was born and brought up in a city, and Hazrat Abdullah bin Mas'ud was a shepherd and interacted more with the Bedouins. Thus, both languages were very different. One day, Hazrat Abdullah bin Mas'ud was reciting that same chapter of the Holy Qur'an. When Hazrat Umar walked past, he heard Abdullah bin Mas'ud reciting the chapter with certain differences. Hazrat Umar was astonished as to how this could be because the wording he knew was different and Abdullah bin Mas'ud was reading it in another way. Hazrat Umar took hold of him by the neck and said, I will present your matter before the Holy Prophet. Some words of the chapters are different to the way you are reading them. Thus, Hazrat Umar brought him to the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, and submitted, O Messenger of Allah, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. You have taught me this chapter in one way, and Abdullah bin Masood is reciting it in another way. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, asked Abdullah bin Masood how he was reading the chapter. Upon this, he became worried and began trembling, thinking that he had made a mistake. But the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, not to worry, and recited. When Abdullah bin Masood recited the chapter, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, that this is absolutely correct. Hazrat Umar responded, O Messenger of Allah, you taught me in another way. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said, that that way is also correct. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, then stated, The Holy Qur'an has been revealed in seven qirat, i.e. readings. Therefore, do not quarrel amongst yourselves about these minor differences. The reason behind this difference was that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, thought that since Abdullah bin Mas'ud was a shepherd, his dialect was different, and so he taught him the reading that was closest to his dialect. And regarding Hazrat Umar, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, considered that since he belonged to the city, therefore he should be taught the Meccan dialect in which the Qur'an was primarily revealed. Thus, the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, permitted Hazrat Abdullah bin Mas'ud to recite the chapter in his own dialect and Hazrat Umar to recite the chapter in the dialect known in the city. These minor differences have arisen due to the various Qirat i readings. However, there was no difference in the actual meaning of the text and everyone knew that this was a natural consequence of the various civilizations, education and differences in the dialects. Hazrat Muslim Ta'ala further states that the Muslim civilization and government transformed individual tribes into one nation and one language and everyone became familiar with Hijazi Arabic. Therefore, Hazrat Usman thought that to keep the use of different qirats, i.e. readings, would be the means of creating division amongst the tribes and he was absolutely correct. For this reason, he stopped the common use of different qirats but the Qirat themselves would remain preserved in the books of Qirat. Thus, keeping this virtuous intention in mind, Hazrat Usman forbid the common use of any other Qirat other than the Hijazi script, which was the original dialect. Subsequently, 
in order to unify both Arabs and non-Arabs alike for the recitation of the Qur'an, he permitted the Hijazi script, which was the initial qirrat, i.e. reading of the Holy Qur'an. There are a few counts remaining, which I will narrate in the future, God willing. I will again request to pray for the Ahmadis in Pakistan and Algeria, and also those Ahmadis around the world who are facing great difficulties. Pray that may Allah the Almighty remove their hardships, especially in Pakistan. Owing to the constitution, at times difficulties are created for Ahmadis, and they do not have any sort of freedom there. Similarly, in Algeria, certain government officials are creating difficulties. May Allah the Almighty safeguard Ahmadis from every kind of difficulty. After the Friday prayers, I will launch a website for the Chinese desk. This website has been created with the assistance of the Central Merkazi IT team, through which people will now be able to acquire detailed information regarding Islam and Ahmadiyyat in the Chinese language. This website can be accessed through Al-Islam, which is the main website of the Jamaat, and separately as well. Its content has been uploaded on the website under various topics, and the new edition of the Chinese translation of the Holy Qur'an is also available on it. Also, 23 books and pamphlets have also been put on the website. It also has information in the form of questions and answers. And under the section of the Promised Messiah, there is an introduction to the Promised Messiah and the Khulafa. On the homepage, it also provides links to six different websites of the Jamaat, and also has the phone, fax and email details for people to get in contact. May Allah the Almighty enable this website to become a means of guidance for the Chinese people and may their hearts become receptive to the message of Islam and Ahmadiyyat. In addition to this, I will lead some funeral prayers in absentia. The first funeral and mention is of respected Muhammad Yunus Khalid Sahib, who was a missionary and passed away on 15th March at the age of 67 owing to heart failure. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Muhammad Yunus Sahib's paternal grandfather and his brother, Hazrat Mia Murad Bakhsh Sahib and Hazrat Haji Ahmed Sahib were among the companions of the Promised Messiah A delegation of six people set off from Premkot district of Hafizabad and travelled to Qadiyan on foot. Hazrat Haji Ahmed Sahib was present in this delegation and he pledged allegiance to the Promised Messiah and also requested water from him as Tabarruk. Respected Yunus Khalid Sahib completed his matriculation exams from Rabwa, after which he gained admission to Jamia Ahmadiyya, and during Jamia he also completed his Arabic Fazl course. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, he was also a Musi, a part of the al scheme. In 1980, he graduated with a Shahid degree, and he then had the opportunity to serve for 40 years in various places inside Pakistan and abroad, in countries throughout Africa. Among those he leaves behind is his wife, Maryam Sadiqa Saiba, 
one son, Atik Ahmed Mubashar, who is also a missionary. Atik Ahmed Mubashar states that my father was a scholar who practiced what he preached and he would often say to me that Allah the Almighty treated him similar to the manner of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih the first radiallahu ta'ala anhu in that whenever he desired something Allah the Almighty would fulfill the need of his and I am personally witness to this fact. Then his son writes with reference to Rana Mubarak Ahmed Saib who used to be the local president in Lahore who said that whenever there was some work related to the community that needed to be done, respected Murabi Sahib would take it up right away and would not even stop to consider whether or not he was wearing any shoes. He would go out swiftly in order to complete the task. He was at the forefront of presenting financial sacrifices. The president of the community in Haripur Hazara said that Murabi Sahib was an excellent example for the community in Tarbella with regards to financial contributions. He would also regularly make financial contributions on behalf of his deceased elders. His brother-in-law states that he was very conscious of his financial contributions and he would pay special attention to his contributions towards his Vasiyat Chanda. He was extremely devoted to his prayers and was extremely devout. He would find the less fortunate and silently provide them financial aid. He would even help the daughters of family members who were less fortunate by arranging for their dowry. His relatives say that they have now been deprived of a sincere person who provided financial aid and a loving and kind person. May Allah the Almighty grant the deceased his forgiveness and mercy. The next funeral is of respected Dr. Nizamuddin Budan Sahib from Ivory Coast. He passed away on 15th March. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Verily to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. He was 73 years of age and he obtained his primary education from Mauritius. In 1968, he received a scholarship from Hazrat Khalifatul Masih III, Rahimahullah, upon which he enrolled in a medical college in Pakistan. In fact, he completed his FSC from Talimul Islam College first, and then he enrolled in medical college, and he completed his MBBS from the Daw Medical College. In 1978, Hazrat Khalifatul Masih III, Rahimahullah, appointed him as the in charge of the Ahmadiyya Clinic in Nigeria, and he had the opportunity to serve there until 1984 in this capacity. When Hazrat Khalifatul Masih III Rahimahullah visited Ghana in 1980, a group from Ivory Coast travelled to Ghana and was honoured to have an audience with Hazur. The group requested Hazur that they desired for there to be a hospital in Ivory Coast, just as the Ahmadiyya community in Ghana had hospitals. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih III Rahimahullah accepted this request of theirs and thus the process began. On March 18, 1983, Dr. Sahib travelled from Lagos to Ivory Coast and met with officials from the Ministry of Health. And since he spoke French and a French-speaking doctor was required there, therefore he was transferred there from Nigeria and he subsequently received permission to open an Ahmadiyya dispensary there in Ivory Coast. He was able to serve in Ivory Coast from 1984 until his demise and by the grace of Allah the Almighty he was a Musi. His wife has passed away. He has a son named Bashiruddin Mahmud Budan and a daughter 
Nishmiya Aisha Mubarka. May Allah the Almighty keep these children attached to the institution of Khilafat and the community. Abdul Qayyum Pasha Saib, who is the missionary in charge of Ivory Coast, says that he, i.e. Dr. Saib, served as the medical officer at the Ahmadiyya Clinic in Abidjan, Ivory Coast for about 36 years. He was a very good doctor, a good person and a senior member of the community in Ivory Coast. He further states that I worked with Dr. Saib for about 18 years and I found him to be a good person in every aspect. He helped everyone, provided guidance and work related to the community. He was extremely hospitable, possessed good qualities, spoke eloquently and was an honourable person. He held various offices in the community as well. He was extremely generous and would treat children with great kindness and affection. He often kept items which he could give to children as gifts at the clinic. And whenever a child patient came to the clinic, he would give them a gift such as toys or sweets. He would render great help to students staying at the mission house as well as poor Ahmadi families. One of the missionaries there writes that if he did not have any patients to see, then he would be occupied in assisting the youth or the elders in their moral training. If he did not have any patients to see, he would not remain idle. Rather, he would occupy himself with some sort of work related to the Jamaat. In this way, at times, he would be translating either the Malfuzat, i.e. the sayings of the Promised Messiah, or the Friday sermon into French, and then would distribute photocopies to members of the community. He was always prepared to serve humanity, and he would personally purchase medicine for poor patients, and he would also provide household necessities for some of them, such as rice and oil. May Allah the Almighty grant the deceased his forgiveness and mercy. The next funeral is of Salma Begum Saiba, wife of Dr. Raja Nasir Ahmed Zafar Saib, who passed away on January 24th at the age of 85. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Surely to Allah we belong, and to him shall we return. By the grace of Allah, her father, Raja Fazal Dad Khan Saib, was the first Ahmadi in his family. Those who have written about her, including her children, have said that the length of her prayers was often recounted amongst their family as an example. She possessed many great qualities, had a joyful personality, was devoted to serve others, righteous, loyal and brave. She possessed great wisdom and intelligence, was very steadfast and honourable. She was devoted to her prayers, was patient and grateful and content and would place her trust in Allah. By the grace of Allah the Almighty, she was a Musi and she is survived by two sons and three daughters. May Allah the Almighty grant the deceased his forgiveness and mercy. The next funeral is of respected Kishwar Tanvir Arshad Saiba, wife of Abdul Baqi Arshad Saib, who is the chairman of Ashirkatul Islamiyah UK. She passed away on February 27th at the age of 87. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. The deceased endured her illness and various ailments in her final years with great steadfastness. And by the grace of Allah, she met her Lord in a state of contentment with his will. She is survived by two sons, two daughters, and grandchildren. One of her sons-in-law is Nasiruddin Saib, who is currently serving as the National Vice President of the community in the UK. Her son Nabil Arshad has also been blessed to serve during the time of Hazrat Khalifat al-Masih IV 
and also whenever I called upon him to serve, he would come right away and continues to do so. She provided good moral training to her children and she possessed many great qualities and was especially particular about cleanliness. She was very well organized, devoutly sincere and virtuous. She was mindful of offering prayers and keeping fasts and would be at the forefront in presenting financial contributions. She would be very generous in giving alms. Arshad Bhakti Sahib writes, She resided in London for a long period of time, and during this time, after the migration of Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV, rahimahullah, in 1984, she supported me a great deal in the work related to the community and always gave precedence to this work. She kept her home a place of peace and reflection of heaven at all times. Hazrat Khalifatul Masih IV, rahimahullah, used to say that in terms of peace and tranquility, her home was his favourite. Her daughter states that she would express gratitude to God in all circumstances, whether in ease or hardship, she would happily accept the divine decree and never complained. She also resided in Saudi Arabia for some time where she had the opportunity to serve Ahmadis who travelled for Hajj or Umrah. May Allah the Almighty grant her his forgiveness and mercy. The next funeral is of Abdul Rahman Hussain Muhammad Khair Sahib of Sudan who passed away on December 24th at the age of 56. Inna lillahi wa inna ilayhi rajiun. Surely to Allah we belong and to him shall we return. Before being introduced to the community, he did not associate with any Islamic sect. In fact, he had some doubts about certain concepts such as abrogation of the verses of the Quran and jinn. His older brother, Usman Hussein Sahib, used to work in Saudi Arabia, where he was introduced to the Ahmadiyya community, and he mentioned this to Abdul Rahman Sahib. This took place in 2007. And then upon hearing about Ahmadiyyat from his brother, Abdul Rahman Sahib was keen to watch MTA. At the time, it was difficult to watch MTA in his area, and in his attempts to watch MTA, he changed the dish antenna many times and spent a lot of money. Eventually, he was able to watch MTA, and then it became his habit that upon returning from work, he would often spend his time watching MTA. Eventually, when his heart had become content, he accepted Ahmadiyyat in 2010. After accepting Ahmadiyyat, he preached to all of his relatives and friends. Among his virtuous qualities were humility and meekness, hospitality, caring for the poor and good dealings. In 2013, he had the opportunity of rendering notable services in the establishment of the Jamaat in Sudan, for which he presented great financial sacrifices. He also provided financial aid to many of the poorer members of the community. When Ahmadis belonging to a poor tribe of an area in Sudan began facing injustices from the people of that area, he provided great financial aid, tended to their needs and took great care of them. And every Friday, he would bring people from various places to the prayer centre and then after the Friday prayer, he would take them back home as well. Even the non-Ahmadis attest to his various qualities. He was regular and generous in paying his financial contributions and he was a member of the first administrative body of the community in Sudan and undertook this responsibility until his demise. He is survived by his wife, two sons and two daughters. May Allah the Almighty strengthen their connection to the community and the institution of Khilafat and grant him his forgiveness and mercy.
and as I mentioned, that I will offer these funeral prayers after the Friday prayer. Alhamdulillah, Alhamdulillah, Namadu, and a Saino, and a Stockfer, when Omen of